0: Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. Brought to you by Golden Age Premier High quality, vintage style products at an affordable price point To find out more, go to GoldenAgePremiere.com This episode is also brought to you by Fuse Audio Labs Uncompromising emulations of classic and rare studio processors in revolutionary plug-in form For more
1: info, go to FuseAudioLabs.de And now your host, Al Levy! Hello everybody! This episode is brought to you by Ultimate Guitar Production, the most detailed, in-depth course ever created about guitars. The course is taught by Andrew Wade, who you may know from one of his three appearances on Nail the Mix, or work with bands like A Day to Remember, The Ghost Inside, Wage War, or Neck Deep, and it covers everything, and I mean everything. It's over 100 videos that cover every single step of the guitar production process. Setting up the guitar, choosing the right amp, cabs, mics, the right way to track guitars, editing, reamping, mixing, and more. He puts it all together by dialing tones for indie pop, rock pop, punk, and metal. And there's actually way, way, way more than what I just told you, but I'm out of time. If you want to see all of it and get a sneak preview of the content... Go to ultimateguitarproduction.com and prepare to have your mind blown. Hello, everyone. A.L. Levy here. Before we get into the episode, I just want to tell you that by popular demand, we are now on Spotify. So, you know, if you use Spotify for podcasts, just go search Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast and follow it and enjoy. Also, even if you use Spotify, we would really, really appreciate it if you went to iTunes and left us a five-star rating and a review. That really, really helps us out a lot. And lastly, if you want to follow me on Instagram, just go to at A-L-Levy U-R-M audio. If you don't know how to spell my name, it's E-Y-A-L-L-E-V-I-U-R-M audio. I post lots of pictures of dogs, but... In addition to that, every single Nail the Mix trip where we're in amazing studios all over the world, I try to document that pretty well. So, come say hello. Today's episode, I've got Mr. J.F. Dagenat, who is the guitar player from the death metal band Cataclysm, as well as a longtime producer. Uh, he's actually a Juno Award-winning producer. And... Uh, He's recorded bands like Despised Icon, Malevolent Creation, Misery, Indexed or Axis, and all the Cataclysm records. And he's been doing this for close to 30 years now. Uh, He gets some sick, sick productions. Um, He's just one of those guys that understands the extreme genre so well. And I've wanted to talk to him for years, so... What I think is especially relevant about this episode to all of you, even if you're not into death metal, is that you're going to hear from a guy who has managed to carve out a living in a very trying environment, not only in one field or in one profession being a person in a band. And it's already impressive enough that they have gotten as big as they've gotten in the genre they have, but also as a producer. And the idea of being able to balance two careers, I think is especially relevant for people trying to make a living in music now, because you do need those multiple streams of income. And on top of that, being able to balance that with having a life is just, it's tough stuff, but really it's so important because if all you do is work, You're gonna run, you know. You're gonna redline yourself into the ground, and what's it all for, anyways? If all you do is work, but then on the other hand, um, you know, you have to work your ass off in order to get just one of those careers off the ground. So to have two is super impressive, and uh, I think that I think that you guys will get a lot out of it. In addition, one of the best ways to increase word of mouth about you as a producer is by having a band that people like. And we're going to find more about that in this episode. So without further ado, we're getting started. J.F. Dagenet, welcome to the URM podcast. How's it going?
2: Very good, very good. Well, uh, it's nice to be on here. I'm uh, very happy to be here with you guys.
1: Well, um, I'm happy to have you on here. Uh, I know that I told you in email that I've been a fan of your work for the longest time. Uh, I think... Back when I worked with Misery Index, it scared the shit out of me. I just thought that your uh, your guitar tone with them was so fucking evil. Uh, <laughs> it's just so awesome. Uh, I I didn't feel like I could compare to it, and it I lost a lot of sleep over it. So back I'm talking like in 2004 <laughs> well, or something.
2: Th- thanks for so, the compliment. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's it's awesome to talk to you and. uh, uh I'm I'm glad we're doing this. I'm glad my car wasn't towed. For anyone listening, uh, I'm late right now because my car was getting towed. <laughs> but uh, but we're all good. Um, so you live in Dallas? I saw.
2: Yes, yes, I moved there and uh, like ten years ago already. Uh, time flies.
1: Yeah, it and, does.
2: And um, yeah, I just uh, just classic story. I met my wife here and uh, decided to just go for it and uh but i I love it down here it's it's great always sunny, it's quite cheap to live compared to to canada and um i I really enjoy being here and and doing studio work as well down here.
1: It's pretty different from Canada and also you did you come from Montreal?
2: Yes, I'm from Montreal,
1: okay, so Montreal, from what I understand from the few times I've been there and just from everyone I know from there, that's kind of like a mecca in North America for metal, and that's uh uh, that's quite a great scene to walk away from.
2: Yeah, I know. It's, it's, um, I mean, especially if you're uh, into, into the, the, an insider in this business, I think, uh, Montreal is really good. Like, uh, there's always, um, there's always bands or musicians doing stuff. And there's so many metal fans out there that uh, it's, uh, I, I was sad for, for that part of like uh, walking away from that. But, Dallas is, is kind of nice too. It has a lot of uh, cool uh, underground bars, and and there's a lot, of, quite a lot of uh, pretty uh, heavy bands down here as well.
1: Like Devourment. Yes. <laughs> Are they still together?
2: I mean, I, I just work actually with um, with Kevin. Um, he plays in another band called Kill Everything, and I, I mixed a single for, for those guys not long ago. Awesome. And so uh, I guess I guess, I think the environment's still going, but they're also starting a bunch of different side projects.
1: Make, makes sense. I, I can see that happening. So did, uh, I, I mean, Dallas definitely has, and Texas in general, has more metal activity than a lot of other places in the U.S., but... Um, I guess you had to feel pretty strongly uh, in order, both, I mean, obviously, you felt very, very strongly about uh, your wife, but you probably, you had to feel pretty strongly that you could just pick up where you left off career-wise, too, like, that it wasn't going to, that you weren't fucking yourself over basically.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I think, I think I always liked Texas and and the South in general, whenever we did tours with Cataclysm in the past, like it was one of the places I was attracted to in the States. Uh, I I thought like the, the vibe here and it's, it's pretty laid back, but it's also like, people are, are very metal and very, the rock is very strong here. And, and I, I really, uh, I, I I like the move I did. Like ten years has passed, and I'm I'm can't say like I would want to go back to Montreal. I really like living here, and uh, people are very welcoming. I made a lot of friends, and uh, I'm very happy about uh, how things worked out for me. And uh, you you never know when you jump into something like this; it could be a, a horrible experience. But for yeah. me, for me, it wasn't. A, it it's was a risk. A, yeah, hey, totally.
1: Well, the thing is, you were already you were already quite established when ten years ago. But still, that's quite a big risk because it's not like you were moving to L.A. or something.
2: I mean, nowadays, like like uh, say for me. Uh I get I got to keep a lot of my clients from the past because uh I still do a lot of mixing and mastering for those guys they'll they'll find some other way to record like uh, and and uh, the difference also nowadays between like compared to uh, back 10 years ago is it's very easy for musicians to record themselves like a lot of uh, a lot of bands would actually like uh, have their own little studio set up, and they, they, they get really good quality recording on their own. And uh, so I get to do a lot more like mixing and mastering and stuff like that. And uh, like I do a lot of Skype and, and FaceTime to uh, to give advice whenever they do stuff or they'll ask me questions. And uh, so I got to keep a lot of the the clients I used to work for um, uh, from Montreal. This way, uh, ten years ago, it wasn't that easy to actually have like a, the guy from the band themselves like record their own stuff. I feel like the technology has just evolved so much, and, and it's it's so much better nowadays. Like the, the, the it's insane what you can do is just a computer and a good sound card versus ten years ago.
1: Yeah, and ten years ago, it was kind of scary too because I remember that's when bands started you know, Uh only coming in for drums and a mix or something, record guitars on their own, doing everything in Guitar Pro. Like, all that stuff was starting to really pick up about 10 years ago, but Mm -hmm. the technology was still kind of shitty, and, you know, it was in its infancy, so you were seeing a lot of bands. I don't know if you experienced this, but I definitely experienced this, that a lot of bands would... Come in and not be able to play anything because they had just discovered Guitar Pro, and would program everything Guitar Pro, and then not know how to play a fucking thing. That was happening, and then also they were uh, recording themselves for the first time, but on much lower quality stuff than you have now, and so you'd be getting garbage tracks that were played horribly, and it was it. I was very worried about how things were going to work out for. Just the genre in general and just music and the future of it because I, I couldn't see how how it could continue like that. But it seems like the technology got better and uh, people learned how to play again and were in a good spot. But were you at all concerned back
2: then? I mean, like, like if you, you go back 10 years, I was really... Yeah, I was really concerned because I, I always wanted to... Uh, take projects from the beginning and be be there a- along every step you know what i mean I, I wanted to make sure that everybody did their part right and and kind of oversee everything but nowadays i feel way more confident that when i get something recorded from from a local band let's say and they do it on their own and, and most in most cases, it's very well done, and there's very little to be fixed on on those tracks. But uh, uh, yeah, like 10, 15 years ago, I would never have have, have done it. Like I, I was, I want, I really made it a point to to be there and and produce everything from A to Z.
1: So uh, I was just wondering how you adjusted. I mean, it, the thing is that we have had to make this adjustment, whether we liked it or not, because this is the way that things are evolving and. You can't fight evolution, right? So this is the way things are going, and this is the way they were going. There's, I know a lot of people who had lots of problems with it, but uh, and fought it every step of the way. But at some point, uh, people either had to, you know, stick to their guns and somehow make it work. Like someone like Kurt Belue, but I, I would say that he's the exception. Uh, most people had to figure out how they fit in with this new new method like how did like how did you come to terms with it
2: i mean the, the positive uh, i'd say is that i prefer mixing and mastering like in in all in the grand scheme of things that's really my passion but i think like it was a it was a step you know I, I, at some point i was like okay i got i got to let this this go cuz i'm not going to work anymore <laughs> if i uh, if i uh, start like uh, wanting to to push my ideas, I, I still try to push my ideas to the, the band, but I feel like the, the bigger budgets and time that people would put into uh, like a production, they're, they're definitely not the same, and uh, this is the way things have gone, I, I come to terms with it personally. And also, like I, I get to do a lot more, a lot more mixing, which is what I really, really like. And the other part I really like is also pre-production because I, I, I love the writing and arranging part of things. So uh, that I always try to to to, to uh, bring in my influence, or I always try to help the the the, the, the bands I'm working with um, do better. Uh, I, I feel like. Um, it's something I, that really uh, gets me off to actually help a, a younger band that are starting do, uh, doing uh, music, and if I can help them like write stronger songs or, or better arrangements, like I, that's something that I, I really like. It makes me feel proud at the end of the the, the result of seeing everything recorded and done, and that, that I can help. That I can help somebody like the evolution of a, of a new musician. Uh, from, from the experience I got from all the years of being doing this, uh, it makes me feel really good about myself.
1: You know, it's interesting you say that. Um, I never imagined, you know, maybe 10 years ago or, or more, uh, when I was just a musician in, in my band. Um, and when I was, I guess, at the earlier point in production, I never imagined that I'd... Actually, like I don't, I don't want this to sound bad, but uh, being just a musician is very self-centered, and it has to be because you know you you're creating your own art through your physical body, so you have to, you know, you have to, your mind has to be in the right place, and then your physical technique has to be totally honed, and so you have to be focusing on yourself. A lot. And it's why a lot of musicians are narcissistic and, you know, have personality problems and all that. But it, you know, it goes with the territory. And I never imagined that I would kind of find my life's passion um, in something that was designed to help other people like that, because I was coming from the musician standpoint of helping myself get better Uh and uh but now that like urm has been going for years and we're seeing all these positive things like helping so many people uh you know either at the lower end of it just get better at recording their own home material to the higher end of it helping people quit their jobs to be able to record full-time and to start working under really big producers like i love that it's uh it's far more inspiring to me than even my own music was. So I, I kind of understand exactly what you're saying about helping a young band become a better version of themselves. It's it's really cool.
2: It's like, it's things that I wish I had when I grew up. Um, like when we first started Cataclysm, everything was really DIY. Uh, we recorded everything ourselves and, and we learned like about the business and how to do our own. Things ourselves, we we're basically a bunch of kids in high school. I got together and, and started a band, and we didn't know anything about it. We just got lucky to get a record deal very early on. And uh, I wish we had people that would have jumped in and say, "Hey, like you're doing this wrong, or you're doing this right, go this way," or like like a, some sort of a guide. And uh, I I like it makes me feel feel good now to give back and be that person for younger bands. Um, uh, all these years later and uh, we've learned a lot through like Cataclysm has been around for almost 27 years now
1: that's insane
2: so it's it's crazy I, like it, in my mind it went so fast uh, but at the same time so many things ha- has happened and I, I've learned so much in, in this business doing doing this and uh, it, it feels really good to give back and uh, that that's what makes me uh, makes me uh, passionate still about doing this right now because I mean like like uh, I, I really love uh, playing in a band. I I really love writing music still to me. Like uh, the songwriting, that's my favorite part of, out of everything. Uh, writing music with and, and then uh, putting it out, out there, like all this stuff, the promotion and the touring and all that. I like it, but it's not my, my, my favorite part is really... Uh, Writing and, and and arranging and stuff, and then um, el- helping uh, helping younger musicians. And also, like I, I grew so much. You you grow as a musician. You, you go through all this um, this uh, these years of trying to do things better. But then you learn, like years down the line, that sometimes simplicity and just like the the, the realness and the, nat- n- n- the natural uh, State of things. That's that's what really works, and that's what really better than trying to impress. Like I feel like when we started, you you want to impress and, and yeah. be like really crazy technically, and and also uh, brutally. Like like uh, for us, we were one of these guys that wanted to be the most brutal band in the world, and like having like a million riffs per songs and all these crazy tempo changes and all that. And uh, at the end of the day, I. I I'm happy to have learned that, like, just simplicity and and real is is the answer.
1: Man, I think simplicity is way harder. Like, I mean, to pick when you have a million options, to pick the one right one, I think is way harder than to have a thousand little ones that go together that are okay, but to find that one idea or two ideas that are just. Incredible. that, And how to phrase them properly and present them properly, I mean, that is really hard stuff. Um, I mean, it's funny to me when people talk badly about pop music because they don't understand how much skill is involved. Um, But the ability to take a simple idea that resonates with a lot of people um, is incredibly difficult. And I see that across the board in all different forms of art the need to be super complicated and impress other people at first and then with maturity uh, the simplicity comes in and uh, you you know now the mix we watch a lot of people mix uh, you know we've done about 50 of them now mm-hmm. and you know so I've seen a lot of great mixers mix and I can tell you that 95 percent or more of the time they're doing simple stuff uh, I mean every once in a while you'll have someone on who has a super complicated, uh, intricate chain, like Taylor Larson, you know, he's on his own level. But, yeah. um, but he doesn't always do that. Uh, I think that these people are capable of complexity when they need complexity to solve a problem, but they have the maturity to use the simple solution when that's all you need. And I think that, that it does take maturity, but that's, in my opinion, that's the path in any form of art is to figure out the simplest solution possible somehow.
2: Yes, uh, definitely. I agree with that 250%.
1: So, you know, I wanted to talk a bit about uh, your move a little more because uh, a lot of people who listen to this live, you know, for instance, in the middle of nowhere and they don't have any clients yet. And they ask about moving to places like L.A. or Nashville or whatever, you know, the, the standard places. Or, you know, they just come from a place where there's very few bands. And I've always told people that, you know, wherever you are, uh, you need to just become the best wherever you are to begin with. But then at a certain point, you kind of do need to be where the work is until you can establish yourself. And then once you're established, you can go anywhere you want because people will come to you. Um, and I, I kind of feel like you're a perfect example of that. You started in Montreal, which is you know a, a capital for metal in North America. And then after being established, you could move to a place like Dallas. I mean, Dallas is in the middle of nowhere, but it's definitely not like Montreal as far as the scene goes. But I feel like you could have gone anywhere. You could have gone to South America. Uh, you you could have gone to Russia. It doesn't matter where you went. Um I I think you could have taken your career with you. Do you have any thoughts on that for people that are considering moving or not?
2: I have uh, one thing that I have for myself is is that I have two careers, which uh, first one is being a guitar player in Cataclysm. And we got lucky enough that with just the band, I could make a living on my own without the studio stuff. Uh, studio stuff is, is my passion.
1: That's really impressive, by the way, for a death metal band.
2: Oh, th- thank you. Yeah. If, if you ask me how we do it, we did it. I, I absolutely have no idea. <laughs> it was just, we just bulldozed our way through everything and somehow it worked. And somehow we have uh, now our, our own, uh, uh, like our own family of fans that are supporting us. And... Um, it, it's really uh, it's really awesome and i'm i'm very thankful also uh, in the same way at the same time because i i see uh, many people's career that um they they it worked for a few years and then it went down or like it's really rock and roll this business and uh i'm i'm happy that we're like a, been a a steady a steady band throughout these years it's it's unbelievable like i remember conversations we had like 10 years ago and saying like I don't know if we're still going to be doing this in five years, but here we are still doing it, and and we're still having fun. So nowadays, I think it's it's the it's mostly the the key thing we're talking about is like as long as we have fun doing it, we're we're gonna keep on doing it. But I feel very lucky for that. And then uh, parallel to that, I did my my producing career, which I kind of started like on my own, like using four tracks uh, cassette. Uh, recorders back in the day at my mom's house because that was the only way I knew I could uh, make my own demos and and start recording and, and, and presenting my own music and and putting the the first few cataclysm things together. Uh, that's that's the only way I knew how to do it and I've kind of learned on my own uh, how the production side of things worked and uh, since since. All of us in Cataclysm had a really uh, DIy approach to things. Uh, we kind of went doing things our own uh our own way or on our own. It helped both sides of the of the fans really helped like uh, the band as uh, like like the band took off but also like I started getting clients because I was the guy in cataclysm and and people earned my work and they they thought I was doing. Quality stuff for uh, an affordable price, so I always kept good clients, and I, I never really had to push myself too much, which is also something that I'm lucky for. Um, I, I I was always able to find work and and keep working through throughout the years um, on a, a very like uh, word of mouth kind of kind of thing.
1: Honestly, man, I think word of mouth is the way that producers get work. I think that advertising and marketing doesn't work very well for producers. And for people listening who are going to be like, wait wait a second, CLA does all this marketing or whatever, or URM does all this marketing. And what my answer to that is that, well, CLA is selling products. He was a huge mixer long before... He had anything to do with any products. And that marketing is for his products. He'd be getting great mixes regardless of that stuff. And URM, you know, you see us advertising all the time, but we're not producers. I mean, we're producers, but that's a different, that's a whole different thing. URM is a business that sells products. But I think that for an actual producer, engineer, mixer, uh, word of mouth is the number one best way to do it. And that's why I always tell people that if they have their own music, that one of the best ways to get their name out there as a producer or engineer is through their own music. Make it sound as good as you can and try to get out there with that because people will hear that and will want to work with you if they like what you do for your own music. And that's one of the easiest things you can do if you don't have great bands to work with. I mean, make your own band great and make that... Make it sound as good as you can.
2: Exactly, and and if you do quality work, there's always people that will uh, look for that. And also, also, like for me, the way it works most of the times is I'll I'll work an album for a band, and uh, this band has other musician friends. That will get to hear it, and they they'll, they'll call me. It'll be like, hey, you you did this record for for these guys, and we want to work with you. And it's kind of like a domino effect, um, uh, and that's that's how it worked for me.
1: You know, I gotta say though, there I've uh, and I'm curious to your opinion. One of the things that I've always admired about Cataclysm is uh, that. You guys, well, I'm most familiar with you and Maurizio, but like what has struck me is that in addition to just being a sick band, you guys are very entrepreneurial. Like, you know, you have your parallel career, uh, one feeds the other, um, which is really, really smart. And then Maurizio, uh, he, you know, he's got the management thing going on. Uh, and he's, as long as I've known about him, because I've never met him, but, you know, we know all the same people. Uh, as long as I've known about him, I've always heard about his business ventures and how good he is and how killer of a situation he sets up for Cataclysm because he's so smart with business. And, you know, and that extends to his non-cataclysm businesses as well. But uh, you guys are a very entrepreneurial band, and uh, this is why I think that one of the things that bands need to do in the modern day, uh, maybe in the older music industry wasn't as important, but in the modern music industry, I think bands need to think like entrepreneurs, and they need to think about how many different streams of income and networking they can create for themselves because... You know, say that Say that you're not bringing in income through certain parts of your network directly, but you know, like you said, you know a bunch of musicians who are friends of yours who uh, hear your work in the band, and then because of that, they know that you're a producer. They hear something you did and either want to work with you or will recommend other people to work with you uh, because they had experience with you on the road and know you're a cool guy and could do the job, like all those things work together to where the band alone doesn't need to carry the entire weight. You have a whole, I guess, array of weapons out there um, that you're using to further the cause as opposed to just the band. When people do that, I think that's when it gets really, really hard.
2: Yeah, I think... um... I think if you want to live from uh, the music industry, you gotta, you gotta do multiple things. I think it's um, something that uh, you you learn also what you like uh, as a like because I know a few a few musicians they're like uh, uh, I have a few friends are like man I'm not good at anything else like I can't play my guitar but I don't know what else to do but there's all, always something you can do. As a, as a part of, the, of this business, and like say, or learn something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, a, say, in our, our, um, our bass player in Cataclysm, Stefan, a lot of people don't know that, but he's a certified accountant. So that helps a lot as well in different ways. Like okay, a, there you go. Yeah, he's balancing all the books and, and everything for whenever we go on the road.
1: So you guys have an entrepreneur manager, you have a producer, and an accountant in the band. See, it all makes sense now.
2: Yep. And Alexei, in in Morcio's case, he kind of, same as me, he learned how to do things through like doing it for us because nobody else would. So, uh, and he took everything he learned from the experience in Cataclysm and started helping other bands going through, um, like what we've been through. And, and like he knows all the pitfalls and all the, where and when to push and when to pull back and things like that. And you can get very valuable advice from somebody like him um, in, the, in the business. And then like, for me, I think it's a way of life. Like you're, you're going DIY with everything in your life and you just go for things that makes you happy and go for things that gets your heart pumping and and just, just go for it and learn as much as you can. And uh, try to uh, try to live out your passion because uh, most of us musicians thinks nine to five sucks, and that's not what we wanted to do in our lives. There, there, there is other ways. You just have to work out, work, work hard, and learn, and just not be afraid to take the steps to to go forward and move
1: on. Absolutely. I mean, the thing about the time period we live in is that you can learn anything you want, just about. On your own. I mean, obviously, you're not going to become a surgeon through learning on the Internet, but there's a lot of things that you can do. And so if you have a basic talent in something in addition to your music, you can take the time to really hone it um, and learn more about it. For instance, uh, when I knew that I wanted to start my own company in 2013 and 14, uh, I knew I wanted to do this, but... I had never started a company before, so it's, you know, you don't just do that. Um, You don't just quit your current career and start another career and something you have zero experience doing whatsoever. Uh, So I bought as many marketing courses and business courses as I could uh, and just basically put myself through school on my own and uh, learned how to do it. And I advise that everyone figure out what it is that they can do in addition to just music, uh, you know, like say you're a producer and you want your clients to have a great, great experience with you um, so that they recommend you to other people and want to come back. Well, one of the things that you can do in addition, you know, in addition to doing a great job with the music is think about, Just as a thought exercise, think about everything that you know how to do that could possibly benefit them in some sort of way. Like, do you know how to edit video? Do you know nutrition? Uh, Do you know accounting? Like, there's so many different things that if you actually think about it, you could help other people with. um, And... I I doubt it. You know, when people say that they just know how to do one thing, I never believe them. It's impossible that they just know how to do one thing. And I think that oftentimes they just don't realize how many things they know how to do or how many things they could just spend a month brushing up on that they could do well enough to help other people with.
2: No, Yeah, totally. I think uh, we all have like strengths and we need to discover what they are and just push them and, and like you said it's so easy to just pull up uh, information online and you, you can teach yourself everything you need to know and just move forward and do the best you can do with, with all that information and there are so many uh, helpful things you can do uh, like say uh, there there's a lot of musicians that I know uh, also would work as like crew guys between tours on with with other bands that's also another possibility to make extra income between the the tours like be a good Drum tech, a good guitar tech, uh, like sound engineer on the road, uh, tour manager, lighting engineer—all um, all these careers. There are possibility for musicians because when you're a musician, you you know uh, what the band you're working for really needs and what they 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 want uh, from technicians. So it's it's easy for you to put put yourself in their shoes and, and and give the services they need. So it's, it's a big
1: plus. Uh, do you find that the musicians you work with trust you more because they know that you've been through the challenges of being in a band?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, say, I, it, like if you're a musician, you know that, like, you know all the ins, ins and outs and you know like uh, what you want to accomplish um as uh, in your career, and I think um, like it makes you so much more knowledgeable of what the person you're sitting with in in, in your studio uh, wants, and then it's it's easier also like the whole because uh, uh, I feel like if you're a producer or a, an engineer or some when you're working in that field, you got to be a little bit of a psychologist as well, and uh, I think uh, it makes you a lot more knowledgeable about the the, the psychology of, of, of everything yeah and I think that's a big uh, a big plus and makes it makes people feel more comfortable to work with you and that sort of thing.
1: So uh, let's talk a little bit about your earlier career because I'm uh, interested in some of the finer details of how you used cataclysm to fuel the production and the production. To fuel cataclysm. So you said that you were self-taught, um, did and that you did it in order to be able to record your own music. But at any point, did you um, get an internship or did you work in a studio? Like, I mean, back in the nineties, I know that there was barely any information out there for people, especially people who wanted to learn how to record metal. So. Did you do? Did you learn everything on your own, or did you have any experience in a, you know, in a professional studio that you could then use?
2: The very first time I went to a studio was a Montreal band that wanted a a demo, and uh, they asked me for it. They knew I was doing all the home recording stuff, and uh, they wanted something a little more professional. So I said, okay, let's go find and rent a studio, and we'll we'll record with proper equipment. So I, I. opened up the, the yellow pages, of found, found a small recording studio that was affordable and actually went there, rented the place uh, and produced everything. But there was so much I, I didn't know. I didn't know what kind of mics to use
1: for what. I was going to say, that that sounds kind of intimidating.
2: Like the first time I put the tape on the actual Tape machine, like the the, the two-inch track. I, I wasn't sure which direction to go with the tape. I followed that the little pattern uh, that, that was drawn on the machine <laughs> to to put the tape on there. And I don't know I don't know how, but somehow it turned out pretty good.
1: Did you have an engineer helping?
2: Uh, there was there was a guy from the studio. And I, he was assisting assisting me, and like it was kind of like uh showing me like don't do this, do that, but at the same time he was just kind of sitting there to make sure that I don't burn the place down <laughs> 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 but it, it, like it was a good experience, a good first step for me to to get into uh, the more professional world but then i i I kept getting um bands to call me and 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 do demo. The most for them and eventually i got a like bigger stuff coming my way so i rented like one of the the bigger studio in montreal which was victor studio and uh i, I brought this band there and, and recorded on like the, the the big iron gear and when i went there the first time i really really got along with the owner and uh he offered me a job as a as an assistant uh, for for his studio and so I, I picked that job up. I, I jumped on it right away, and I and then I got really lucky to to get to learn to the next level, like all to calibre a, a tape machine, all to plug in everything properly, our real like recording studio work. And I I worked there for almost like uh, five six years uh, as an assistant, and he, and also I was uh, working my own. Um, my own projects that I would bring in and and he would give me a special rate so I could work my bands there and same with Cataclysm we did many Cataclysm records at that place and uh, eventually got to a point where I learned the ins and outs of the business and I was starting to feel like wait a minute like I'm bringing all these bands but I am actually making the studio a lot of money which I could myself pocket if I had my own place. So then that got me thinking about like starting my own business uh, and my own studio. And back in those years, it was a little bit more complicated because we didn't, we obviously didn't have all the technologies from today. So you had to...
1: It was expensive, very expensive. Yeah,
2: (laughs) Yeah, you had to buy all this expensive gear. But one thing that Led to another, and then Cataclysm, we were getting really good recording budgets for earlier albums. So what we did is like we put all that money into buying our own gear instead of uh, spending it on a studio.
1: Very smart.
2: So we, we started doing that, plus with the money I was making from producing, I put all that together and bought extra gear with that as well and and borrowed some money at the bank so i managed to open up my own place and then started doing our own stuff and and the, the beauty of it was that like um every time we would do more cataclysm records then more money would come in and would do it do it again and just spend it on more equipment and just keep building the thing and making it bigger and more professional
1: that's a great situation
2: so uh, that's that's how I did it myself like uh and uh, I think again, like don't be afraid to jump feet like get both feet like run into these these things because I think that's how you get business going
1: absolutely so this is interesting to me. the dynamics of being a member of the band that's also producing, I always found it very, very difficult to do but so did the other back in those days did the other band members treat you uh as a producer or as a member with extra powers or how did, how did that work?
2: Well, it, it worked really well because they actually, they, 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 they really believed I, I knew what I was doing and they gave me like like the keys of the castle. They basically like just to, to do things how I wanted to. And, um, I, I did that for years and then it went well, most of the career and eventually, uh, only later we started getting into fights about, like, uh, hey, I, I want things to sound a certain way or or they didn't like how I was doing things and, and, and like, putting more and more pressure as, as the band was getting bigger. So eventually I started um, using other producers to mix because... I just to avoid all the headaches and the fighting <laughs> down the line but that that happened like uh, only recently the last few albums we we started using uh, like big name mixers to do our stuff and for me it's like a way to get rid of that headache and at the same time it's a I, big relief. Yeah, it's a big relief so now I'm just like I become just like a band member again. Um and uh, also, I, I, I produce only like the, the songs, the arrangements, and the recording. And uh, I'm put, putting, piecing things together. We get it all prepped up like super professionally. And then we just send it out. Then I don't have to, to worry too much about fighting my guys.
1: <laughs> hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast, then you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before. And if you remember, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multitracks to a new song by artists like of God, Opeth, Meshuga, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira... Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song of the album, and takes your questions live on the air. You'll also get access to MixLab, our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics, and Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multitracks cleared for use in your portfolio, so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those who really, really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhanced, which includes everything I already told you about, And access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, loan, and so forth. It's over 50 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-one office hours, sessions with us, and Rescue which is where we open up one of your mixes on a live video stream, fix it up, and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. If any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills and your audio career, head over to urm.academy slash enhanced to find out more. It's interesting when... In my band, I also I mixed one record and then I never wanted to do it again. Mm-hmm. It was such a painful experience. Uh, but so then I always tried to get people way better than me, um, and it always worked great. And there's, it's very satisfying to to hear something you produced mixed by someone incredible. Um, it's it's very satisfying, but um, it also made life a lot easier. So and I you- totally understand. And you worked with great people.
2: And the, the other thing is uh, that I, for me, that I love as an as a engineer is that work, working with these uh, big time mixers, you keep learning as well. Because like uh, I learned a little bit from the different guys we, we got to, to work with and um, the people like Andy Sneap and, and uh, Zeus and uh, um, uh, Jay Rustin on the last one. And you
1: kind of get. And Jay Rustin did the last one?
2: Yeah, he makes The the, the Last Cataclysm.
1: That's awesome. He's great.
2: Yeah, I think he's a great uh, producer, and he's Canadian as well, so we have that little kinship. (laughs) So that's cool that that those guys, like, uh, you learn a little bit of something from everybody, and uh, you put that into your own own experience bag, and then you just apply it to what you do, and uh, it just makes you a better uh, engineer uh, down the line.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the primary things in your reputation or qualities that people talk about is your ability to get such punishing guitar tones. Can you talk a little bit about tone chasing and where you started versus where you are now, specifically with guitars?
2: Uh, With guitars, I think I always wanted to have, like, the biggest monster wall of sound I could find. And uh, I started with, like... Bus heavy metal pedals back in the day with like a, a very uh, small Randall amp, and I tried to cue that thing, and I, I I experimented with so many amps and cabs and tried so many different things to to get to what I wanted, and I I I finally like built myself a setup that I really like, and I still use it to this day. It's it's many many uh, bands in the metal jars. Use the same setup. It's it's the the 5150 combo with the Mesa Boogie cab and, and Maxon Overdrive. That that's my that's what I got my uh, my sound from uh, back in those days. But what I want to say about that is is the way you you cue and place your things. I really 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 believe it starts from the way you strum and pick your guitars, and it's from the player itself. Totally agree. Because. Uh, like you can make have the perfect setup, or like the setup that's perfect for me. Uh, for as an example, uh, I had other bands coming in the studio that that I, they were like, "Man, dude, I, I love your your guitar song. and I was like, "Here, like plug pl- plug it to my my setup," and they would uh, the they they would start playing and it sounded like crap. And it's just not that not that there were not a good musician. It's just don't pick the right way for a certain uh sound. so you kind of have to cater to the um, musician the way they play and the way they they, they, they they pick the strings and 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 I think you gotta find the perfect setup uh, for the person, and that's the harder uh, part.
1: This is also why I tell people that you know for, for instance, I know that a lot of people like to buy Kemper profiles from other mm-hmm. producers. and I think the Kemper is great, but, I think that the trick is that what you use the profiles you made then and there with the guitar player. That's when it's really, really great. When you start getting other profiles, maybe they can work, but they generally don't work that well. And they certainly don't work even close to as well as one that you made right then and there for that album with that guitar player with that rig. Uh, That's when it works fantastically well. Um, And I think that that's just the case with with gear and music here and guitar tone drum tone too like it the person who is playing the instrument uh it all starts and ends with them
2: exactly i i do the same thing i i own a camper myself that i use when we play live my profile and i'm using is a profile i created from my rig at home and uh, uh, like you said, it doesn't work for everybody. It's it's like when I work with a guitar player in a studio, I really uh, work hard to build, to find like what works for him. Then then I'll make a profile of that. And then some, like uh, a lot of uh, albums, I, I would use a camper to record, but I would make the guy his own profile. I think if you buy profiles from, uh, from, from big producers or even myself, I, I got lucky because... I traded a lot of profiles with a lot of these big guys, so I got a lot of cool stuff in my machine, but I never end up using it because it's not right for the person that, 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 that records. So uh, I always I'm a firm believer of like building something for, for specifically for the player.:
1: I know for a fact that I would get these profiles, and I'd hear it on the record that the person mix and be like, "That is the sickest tone." I've ever heard, and then you get the profile, and it's like, well, it's okay, but I, it's not. That's not the same thing.
2: Another thing is like a. Sometimes people like expect a profile that's really like, almost like cooked already and mixed, yep. and <laughs> you get a profile that that's like really raw, and that's how a real amplifier sounds like. And then you still have to process the. The sound to make it good in the mix and to make it solid sit to make it sit in the mix. So that's another thing also that like uh, a lot of uh, players expect when they buy a profile. Oh, it's gonna sound like a like the record, but it it, it took a lot of uh, processing to get to that part. You know,
1: you know, it's funny. Uh, like five years ago, I sold a few. Like I, I did a for like six months. I sold profiles from other people. Um, then mm-hmm. I decided to stop. But uh, one of the profiles that we sold was John Brown from Monuments. Uh, he is one of the best rhythm players around and his tone is just fucking enormous. And those older Monuments records all were all done with like a pod. Like, he just knew how to make it Sound incredible. Nobody believed. No, it was Pod Farm. Nobody believed it, um, or maybe it was a Pod HD. Either way, it's five years ago. It was one of those, but he made it sound incredible. And when we sold the profiles, if you uh, if you play through them, they sound like garbage. And uh, and I know that they're not. I know that they're the actual things because he played them in front of me. Uh, you know, so I know. That those are the actual profiles. But then I, w- I would sit down to play and it would just sound like low gain garbage. And <laughs> the, uh, but I, I mean, he has a massively heavy tone. But the thing is, the guy hits the guitar harder than anyone I've ever seen in my life. And I mean, he, he can barely ever use any DI boxes because he clips everything because he hits so hard. Mm-hmm. And so the, that's the missing key. And so we would sell these and people would be like, that's not the tone from the album. I want my money back. It's like, no, that that is the tone from the album, but I can't sell you John Brown's wrist. Yeah, exactly. That, that's the missing key. Piece.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a quest, and I think for everybody that's looking for the, the ultimate sound, I, I mean, what, what Kemper and Axafix and all the, these these uh, companies did, I think, is it made it easier for people to try different uh, different profiles and ads from home and download all these things, and uh, it, it could be easier to find... What's right for you that way? You get to explore. I Which, agree. which back in the day you had to actually find a real physical thing and just try them out and 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 mic it and just <laughs> spend hours to try the perfect mic position and and, yeah, and If and you
1: stuff. bought the wrong amp, you were stuck with it. I,
2: exactly. So now uh, now it, it made things much easier, but it's still the same problem. Uh, to to find what's right for you and it takes a while I think you gotta just keep searching and trying and I keep trying to perfect my my things and also the the one thing that was cool is to uh, because we used th- these uh, different mixers on the last few albums I got to see a different take on what I do from like big time guys so uh, it's it it's helped me it's helped me like try to look for different things or sometimes they would point out like uh, Ah oh, you have a, you have a, a certain fizzle or something that is wrong in the low end or the low mid or things like that that I keep working on and incorporate into how i i uh, I built my my tone and uh it's it's a mix of all these things that makes things better and i I feel like I'm closer than ever to the perfect guitar sound for myself, but I'm never 100% satisfied. I just keep searching and, and try to push it to another level always.
1: I've always described it like you're on a highway at night with the lights on in the desert. So you can only, so there's no lights around you and all you can see is what's right in front of you. Um, but And the further you go, all you see is what's right in front of you. The, and it's just that way forever. Um, yep. I think that, the better your tone gets, the, the more you're going to realize that it could get better. <laughs> it just, it, ne- <laughs> it never ends.
2: Yeah, it never ends, but it's, it's okay. It's, it's the beauty of doing what we do. If, if everything was perfect and we had like that one knob that would make everything great, then it would be boring to, to be an engineer, I think.
1: No, and I also think that mental thing of always wanting it to be better um, or always thinking it could be better. I mean, that's what makes people get better. <laughs> and so it's, it's funny because I've had a lot of people over the years say, shouldn't you be satisfied? You should be satisfied. Like, just be satisfied with what you've got. Or things like a lot of people would be happy with what you did here. Like, you should be happy too. And it's like, no. The reason I was able to do this was because I was, at one point earlier in time, I was unhappy with where I was, whether it was a tone or my situation, uh, financially or, you know, my career, whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah, my, yeah. My, 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 my down picking, like any, any of that stuff. There was a point where I was unhappy and then decided to make it better. And, uh, that is why now someone else gets to say, just be satisfied. But the thing is that they're not understanding is that that is that state of mind of not being satisfied is what keeps things improving. And I think that the moment that you stop thinking that way is when things start to stagnate. It's the same reason that I know that Jeff Loomis in his 40s is still taking guitar lessons, Um and if anyone doesn't really need guitar lessons, it's Jeff Loomis. Yeah. <laughs> but that's exactly that's exactly it. Is a guy like that is that good because he always sees how it could be better and is always searching for it.
2: It goes for everything as well as, a, as a, if you put that idea in a band kind of mind frame. There's a lot of bands that we see we saw uh, along our long career that. They, they fell down because I think they got to a point where they were actually satisfied and they stopped trying harder. And then you start making stagnant or bad records and then like your career goes down. If you keep having that fire of wanting to make things better, you're actually pushing yourself and you make better things and just you, you keep going. It, it, it works as well that way.
1: Absolutely. man. I remember when my band was unsigned, uh, So this also, this is from like 2003, 2004. We had a lineup, and I was very unhappy with the lineup. And one day I fired just about everybody. Um, And in Atlanta at that time, it was very hard to find musicians. Very hard. It's not like it is now, where every drummer you meet can play double bass and fast and all that. Like There was a time period where drummers could not play to the click and finding a metal drummer who could play extreme metal was very rare like it's a very different time period but i still i went ahead and i fired these people because i didn't think they were good enough and lots of people Mm -hmm. were like you don't appreciate what you had you don't you you know lots of other people in town would be more than happy with this like you're just being an asshole it's like well by firing them, that's what allowed me to find Kevin Talley, for instance, awesome. uh, and the lineup that we got, which is how we got signed, um, was in part because the lineup was so sick. And that would have not happened if I had just been happy with what I had. And so, I mean, I'm pretty passionate about this topic, mainly because all my life I've been hearing that um, I should just be content or whatever from people and I don't agree. I don't agree at all. But, uh, so, about your guitar parts. um, Everything guitar-wise in Cataclysm, and also in what you record, but specifically in Cataclysm, it just sounds so tight and together. Um, It doesn't sound crazy layered, but it sounds huge. Um, But it isn't thin. It doesn't disappear. It's just right. And, I'm just wondering how you go about approaching riff tracking.:
2: I'm very methodical with it. Um, I like to have an idea of the big picture before. I start going into like the, 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 the real tracking of the guitars, so I of course, we, we make a lot of pre-production and, and like figure out the songwriting first. Uh, once once we have the song and know exactly what pieces of the puzzle is going to go where, then then I sit down and actually learn, like I relearn everything <laughs> in a sense, because like whenever I write music, I, I just go with my own feeling. Um, a lot of times, like sitting in front of Pro Tools in my studio and I just record riffs, that I just feel, it, and that's that's the first thing I do when I when I start writing music. And on the last record, we did something special. We actually were, all the four of us in the same room, and wrote a lot of songs that way. We haven't done that in years, so that was also a different experience as, as far as songwriting goes, and, that, and I thought it was really uh, nice because we could feed off each other really easily and put the songs together in a very uh, organic way. And I I think that made this last album special in a way. Uh, but then, like when when I first started tracking and recording those songs, um, I knew exactly what's gonna go where. So now I could concentrate on actual getting a really good performance. And uh, I just start with the riff one and play it until I'm I'm happy. And uh, have my left guitar track. Then I go to the right guitar track and do the same thing again on top of the first one. And I really try to do to get a natural vibe to it, even though I want to play it to the most perfect uh, in the most perfect way possible. But it's I think where where I'm happy, it's the best of both worlds because you want to keep a little bit of that organic feel of playing and uh, not be too perfect. But you don't want to be off the click and, uh, and off the grid as well. So it's kind of like find a happy middle between everything, and then once I'm happy with with that, then I. Uh, I Keep that part, move on to the next part, and uh, it's very uh, A B C D E way of doing things. But I, I move along like the the songs this way. But for me, it's like I want to feel good when I hear the track. It's very important, and uh, I think a part of getting that big sound is like also it's a it's a feeling thing for me. It's when I when I feel like it's monstrous, then it must sound monstrous.
1: <laughs> How do you define tight enough versus? you know like it's i think that maybe maybe it's just you know it when you hear it mm-hmm. but are there any specifics of what you mean by organic but still tight enough
2: uh so an, an example is like say uh, a lot of um, things that whenever i record tracks uh on a few of the our albums i recorded the guitar actually first and then we did the drums uh after and then my drummer would would pinpoint things like hey you're like on these riffs like the uh, the heavier riffs it's almost like i'm lagging a little bit on, on the click and and i realized like i'm doing it like naturally to make things sound heavier so ease following those things and 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 try to like to have a like a really heavy breakdown, and it's not perfectly on time. It's kind of, like, delayed
1: almost a little so bit. So, like, behind the beat.
2: Yeah, behind the beat, and it's just my way of making things sound heavier, uh, but it's something I always did naturally without really knowing technically what was going on. I just thought, like, that's my way of playing, but uh, like sometimes you, you just go with your feeling, you follow your feeling, and you can also have a sometimes, like, a visual guide where you look at the track and see where the... Like you're you're picking falls versus the grid and see if if it's way off then then it's too much it's garbage but if if it kind of works within the grid visually even though it's not perfect but it feels good feels right to you and sounds good that's when I know like I have a good take
1: and so it sounds to me like the part that is variable is where it falls in time so certain riff will fall behind the beat to make it sound heavier. However, um even if it's off from the click, it's uh it's still on with itself.
0: Yeah, right? so yeah, like exactly. the two
1: guitars are tight as shit to each other, but they both come in a little bit behind the beat. So it's like a musical decision.
2: Yeah, cuz it, it they're tight because that's how you play them, so it's it's easier to it's easy to uh, like double that that track, like by playing along with it. If that's the way you you feel the riff, you know, and yeah. uh, and I, I feel it's better to leave it like that and make it sound huge, uh, than than like starting to try to place every single pick on the perfect time, like on 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 the grid, and be like, oh man, it's I'm way off. Like and you, some some engineers would start chopping and piecing things. I, I don't think that's the right way to go. It, it does. It, it might sound perfect in the, at the end, but you're missing a little bit of the the point of like playing things naturally.
1: So where does bass fit in for you? Um, because you know, bass in extreme metal is one of those things where it kind of lots of people see it as an afterthought in a way, but it kind of is the hidden weapon, in my opinion, of every mix. Like you have to get it right. Um, and it's actually really hard to get right. Um, it's totally not an afterthought. But um, I'm just wondering, how, where does it fit in for you?
2: Uh, for me, the, the bass, is it's like the punch in the middle of the whole thing. And um, I still, like, I'm a guitar player, so I always put my guitar first, kinda, so to speak. So I, I, when I build my sound, it's like I'll, I'll build the wall of guitar first and then... Fit the bass underneath it some some somewhere somehow, uh, but the bass is nonetheless like you said it's very important and it's very uh, it's very hard to get. I think it's as a mixer it's the thing that took me the most time to figure out how to get it right because uh, you need the bass in the mix to to play its role, but at the same time in metal you want that guitar to be as wide as you can get it. So. Uh, uh, I I found uh, found ways to make it work, and and um, for me, I'll, I'll always try to fit the bass to make sure it has that very low sub frequencies. I, I actually split my bass track into in, into uh, I make duplicates, and I I I'll duplicate it like two three times, and then split the frequency range of each track to focus on where I want to fit it. So uh, there's one that's going to be like the extreme low sub. And one is going to be like more in the in the mid-range and then the other track is going to be like the, like the real high stuff. And so I, I do like the bass to sound a little bit like a piano where you, you hit like the higher frequencies pretty hard. So it cuts through the mix and you can hear it a little bit through the wall of guitar. But then you have that low end that's making all the... The, the the basically the punch of the record. So sometimes I'll mix it, and you so you you'll hear it. But you, you're like, man, I wish I wish the bass was a little louder or, or or whatnot. But then if you mute it, like the whole punch of the records disappear. And I think that's when you know where you got it right is, is when it's doing its job in the in the mix in the puzzle.
1: Yeah, I think that one of the reasons that people think of it as an afterthought is because. It's not immediately obvious what it's doing, but it's, like you said, it's immediately obvious when you remove it. So it's more of a utility, you know, to the mix, like, but it's not jumping out like a guitar solo.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of mixers that are, that are like a, that that would push the bass first because either they're a bass player or they want like the instrument to really stand out. And I, I think really great things have been done as well. In that case, it's just just for me. It's my w- way of working. I, I always work the other way around. I always. Push the guitar first, and 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 the bass is like the the glue, somewhat in the middle, and 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 that punch in the low end and the balls. But I feel that um, that's my way of making the the puzzle work. But uh, it's it's something that it's a very important instrument in the mix for sure.
1: I think that tracking guitars before bass is a very wise thing to do in extreme metal. The only problem mm-hmm. I've ever found is that sometimes. I don't know, it's like sometimes when the bass isn't there, you can't totally hear that you're not totally in tune. It's weird, like the tuning I feel like is a lot more of an issue. So one thing I started doing to compensate is to program a synth bass for just to have while tracking guitars. So that way there's a perfect pitch reference always. Like you you will always know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you're off or not, And then, you know, and then just replay the bass after, but um, that helped me tremendously. But there's, I feel like extreme metal is kind of defined by the guitars and they kind of set the tone in a way for the whole thing. So it totally makes sense to me to go first with those.
2: Yeah and, and also like a, a another thing that people ask me is like how how did you get like the guitars to sound a certain way it's it's just there's no magic to it you just have to do it and be patient and like you make you make I I do make a lot of mistakes when I track and I'm very over uh, I think I'm I, I'm like my own worst critic as well because like whenever I track somebody else I'm I'm like a, I'm very in Nazi on them, and I, I I try to make sure that they do it right. And uh, but when I do it, when i it's myself sitting in the booth and I'm recording. I'm I'm like I'm so bad on myself. It takes me forever to get just one song done, uh, and I have the patience to do it. I think the patience is the key to get perfect guitars because you want to make sure that there's no fret buzz, fret noise. Uh, the tuning has to be 100 percent right, and all these things and. The, the guitars, having a good guitar is like in tune, that's been tuned by a professional sometimes, like it's half it's the battle as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Quite the battle yeah. too. <laughs> so do you get your guitars always set up by a pro guitar tech before tracking?
2: Yeah, I, I, I got the chance to have a, a buddy of mine that's really good with that stuff, so he, he does it for me. You no, know? uh, I think it, it helps tremendously, like the the outcome of the guitars tracks because uh, you, you you want that pitch to be perfect and uh, you don't want any uh, any weird like fret guitar strings like kind of noise uh, in there. So uh, they did the purest possible way. The, you can make that happen is like having a good instrument and uh yeah i'm lucky to have a guy that does it for me but uh i'm also with the years you learn how to do it yourself but i i i trust him so much more because like he's very talented for that stuff so uh, i think uh also being a good producer is finding all the right talents for certain parts of the project and not be afraid Absolutely. to not be afraid to delegate certain parts to other people to to get it done right because um, you, you, like uh, I know a lot of people are like Man, I want it all done by myself and it's all uh, like you said earlier the narcissistic thing where it's like me, 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 me and <laughs> I, I think you gotta you, you gotta at some point be able to delegate and mm-hmm. and know when who's good at what and, and like be able to oversee the big picture of the project and make everything come together at the end?
1: You know, it's interesting. The producer, like, by Hollywood standards, the movie producer is not the director, you know, he's not the actor. I mean, sometimes maybe, if it's a Tom Cruise movie or whatever, but um, the the producer is the guy that sets the budget, who finds everybody uh, and you know keeps the project on track and does all the big picture stuff and i think that in music some of the greatest producers of all time like rick rubin kind of have that role where they they find the best people for everything and they they kind of have like they're like the mastermind of the whole project and i think that even if you're an engineer also and a, you know you you do a lot of the dirty work and that's okay. I still think that as a producer, you need to, a big part of the job is also having that that mastermind mentality and you gotta get the ego out of the way and get a good team for a record. I think it's also for the sake of the record. Like you want your attention to be on what's really, really important. Like, are the songs great? Are these great performances? Are the tones great? Like the shit that really matters. And everything that you do takes away a little bit of your energy and a little bit of your focus. And I don't understand why a producer needs to be worried about setting up the guitars when they can get a professional who is way better than them at it, who does that for a living. You know, that's their thing. There are some people who are, they love guitars for some reason. They just, they love the physical thing. Like they, uh, are, it's just what they do. Uh, why not get someone like that to fix the guitars so that you as a producer can worry about producing the record? It just makes so much more sense to me.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's all these little factors that uh, you can get um, like a very professional job uh, on all these things. It makes like the actual work so much more, um, like, like you, your focus is on the right, things at the end of the day.
1: So what stuff do you delegate?
2: Uh, All all these things. Like, I mean, it could go also for like say make an executive decision of like like i know how how much i love mixing and i think i i i I do a quality work at it and but sometimes i'm like listening to uh like say a song or an album that i I produced and i'm like man it would sound so much better if that guy did it or or like sometimes i have someone in mind for 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 the album and i'm like let's just go for it like uh uh let's get it Done by that guy, and uh, I think the music would benefit from from it, you know. And I think it's that's something you, people have a hard time doing as a producer because they, they, they want first they want the the job and they 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 want to earn the money or they want to make sure like they 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 want to do everything on their own. But I think. Uh, making decisions like that it, it it makes a better record at the end of the day, and uh, the artist that works with you will come back, or uh, and uh, the album has a much better chance of like going somewhere as well when it's released.
1: You got to play the long game with this stuff, and what I mean by that is that you need to make decisions that, in the long run, are going to bring the most benefit. And a lot of people don't think long term; they think now. And so now, I want that budget for the mix. Now, I want that credit. Now, because they're thinking, well, if I, you know, well, money's nice, and I need that credit so I can get to the next level. But by giving that up when it's more appropriate to have somebody else, like you said, you give the record a much greater chance of succeeding. You. Leave the musicians with a much better feeling about the whole thing, and if if it truly is the right decision to get whoever you had in mind, but you know by helping the record be that much better, if you truly are not the person who should be mixing it, uh, by just thinking of the big picture and making decisions in line with the big picture, that will end up getting you more credits and more money in the long run, anyways. Uh, it really turns bands off when somebody hoards everything and does it, you know, won't let other people work on it when it could be better that way. I know this from experience because uh, my band experienced that with uh, somebody we hired once, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was horrible. Um, the person I'm not going to name names, but the person uh, when I hired him, I hired him to mix and I wanted to have somebody else master it. I had someone in mind. He really wanted to master it too, but I didn't want that. But I gave him the shot of mastering it just to see, you know, like mm-hmm. given the benefit of the doubt. But from the outset of the project, it wasn't like we hired him to master and then changed our mind or something, which is would be okay too, you know. People change their minds. But uh, from the moment we hired him, it was known that I wanted this other person to master it. And uh, he was not okay with it at all. And so what he did was when he mastered it, he destroyed the unmastered mixes so that we'd be stuck with uh, <laughs> with the mastered mixes. And so fucked.
2: I think that kind of thing it just leaves a bad taste in the mouth of everybody. Like you don't, yeah. like you're not going to go back to that guy. You're not going to tell your friends, hey, this guy was great to work with. Like you just when you do good work, I think that your reputation precedes you, and it and it goes fast. The word out out there that you're doing good a good job about something, and when you do a bad uh, thing like that, then it's the, it goes the same way. It's like so fast like it's going the the music world is very big but yet very small everybody like knows each other and, and like world word travel fast especially these days with with the the communication system that we have in place and is just like not bad it's bad business
1: yeah it spreads and if you give up the mix or the master or whatever and you're totally cool about it and um, make it easy nobody's going to think badly of you and if it comes out great you know, you're still the producer.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it, it, That's what a good pro- producer does, is just making sure the album is as best as it can be. I mean, and, and hiring the right people for each part of the process.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about a couple more elements of this, because I, I really think that this is the hardest style of music to mix um, well. Um, so I'm wondering where you see... The extreme metal kick drum in all this, and how you approach it, because it's something that people routinely fuck up, and uh, it's something that's very, very particular to the style. Uh, and when it's done just right, it sounds deadly, and when it's done wrong, it sounds like a typewriter floating in space, you know, separate <laughs> from Absolutely. the mix. Uh,
2: I think for me, it's I I go, like, great lengths to try to make it sound as natural as possible, and uh, whenever we record uh, our albums, like, say, for for Cataclysm, uh, that's always a a thing where we want it to, to sound as natural as possible, but yet still be, like, that thing where it's like super um, present and to make sure you want to hear every it and every it has to sound big so like we're trying to compromise between uh, both these things and, and we really actually record it starts from a real bass drums and we always have like the, the, the real thing somewhere in, in the back and then we start like layering samples and, and use a lot of multi sampling uh, to make sure like different sounds come back a lot of like the last few albums we actually used our own kick samples that we recorded ourselves and we made a bank and we used that bank over the real bass drums and we just spent hours to try to get that right and also the velocity is a big thing where you can't have everything at 10 like (laughs) 110 all the time you like you want it like you want when whenever it's certain hits you want it like not as loud in the mix, and then uh, when, when it goes slower, you want it to sound natural and louder so we, we spend a lot a great deal of time to just take the pen and, and 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 go over the tracks and making sure it's the right level for every part and um, all these things at the end, like when when done right, then you have a big sounding. Kick drum still a little bit like over the top, but yet natural sounding to your ears. It's like it's very ear, ear pleasing in the grand scheme of things, and um, it's it takes a while, a lot of work in the background to get this done right. But that's something important in the metal genre for sure.
1: How do you uh, dial the high end so that it um you know so it has just that right amount of click, but doesn't sound annoying?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, depending on how your uh, drum sample sounds originally, uh, I, I try to get like the, the the clicky part of the kick coming from the actual like real bass drums that we recorded. So that's that that right there sounds already much softer to the ears and more mm-hmm. ear, ear pleasing. And then I have a little bit of that tick from from the sampler as well. In there, but I—it's usually around like the the four or five k for me uh, frequency to get that right click of the beater hitting the skin, and then um, and then I I I'll add a little bit of the the higher frequency spectrum, like like I said on the original real kick, to get that more natural vibe and. Like, it's it's easy to put too much when you don't know what you're doing, so you just just want to add, like, it's like little ins here and there of, of these things.
1: All right, so let's move on to another topic, something I really wanted to ask you about. With uh, having two parallel careers, and I would say even a third, because the band is one career, but you also have to be good enough at guitar in order to be in the band, so... You know, I feel like being in a band and playing your instrument are two different things. You know, like what the practice that you do on the instrument just to just to keep up. But so between being a guitar player, being a guitar player in Cataclysm, and being a full time producer and married um, with a family, how do you how do you stay sane and how do you balance it to where? Everything is getting what it needs.
2: Yeah, you gotta make room for all these things, like uh, especially the practice thing, because. Uh, there was a point where I was so busy with the the studio that I would barely practice my guitar, and then I would I would jump like on a flight to go on a tour and and start the first date, Then I was like, oh man, I, I wish I'd practiced before.
1: That sounds before. horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like a nightmare,
2: <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, you you have to keep playing. Like, and uh, I think I'm I'm a person that likes to keep busy. There are some people that like. I, Try to live their life a little bit more laid back, and uh, for me, it's it's important. I keep busy; otherwise, I'm I I go nuts. So uh, I I fit it in my schedule. I practice my guitar. I do. I, I still keep on working the tones and these things, and for my own personal. Research pleasure, and um, so I do that on one end, and then you you're balancing your producer mixing career uh, in there, and then I have a daughter as well. She's four years old, so that takes a lot of my time now. But the, the cool thing is, I'm doing the studio at home. It's 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 my own place. Uh, we built it in the garage, so um, it's really easy for me if I need to tend to my daughter or something's happening in the house. I just like stop and, and do whatever needs to be done and come back. And, and that's a cool thing, being able to make my own schedule. It's very helping things a lot.
1: Yeah, I, I can imagine. Do you uh, have bands come to your house at all, I guess, to record?
2: Yes, I still do. Um, not as much as I used to because lately it seems like I'm getting more mixing job offers and, and mastering than anything else. But I still do once in a while and I, I, I enjoy it. And uh, I try to keep the hours limited when I when I do so uh, just because uh, I, I don't want to have like... A, someone playing drums at the 3 a.m in the, in the morning and my wife sleeping on the other side of the house with the kid and <laughs> it's just not happening anymore I used to <laughs> I used to back in the day but now it's like I I, I try to have certain hours and uh, especially for for drums and vocals because like you, you don't want to disturb the the whole house or even the neighbors at the certain point like my thing is pretty well insulated but you still hear it from the, from the the street you know so I I try to have like good Normal working days when when I do those uh, those recordings.
1: And I also think that drummers and vocalists do better on a normal schedule. I mean, I know that people like to push themselves, but in my experience, there's always a point where, yeah, a drummer could go fourteen hours, uh, but generally, after six, they they're just not as good.
2: No, that's, that's for sure. It's just it's the human body uh, eventually yeah. starts uh, getting tired and, and it's better to rest and take more time to do things and be patient than, than trying to rush things. And, and that's also the beauty of owning your own studio you can make sure everyone has enough time to do what they need to do versus like back in the day renting a, an, an expensive place where you had the constraint of budget and, and uh, when you do things at home, it's so much easier to balance everything and make sure the performance is getting captured the right way.
1: How do you balance that then? Oh, which I, I totally agree with you, by the way. Um, that's one of the things I loved about having a home studio is that you can take the time needed. But how do you balance that with not spending too much time? Because I feel like that becomes the danger also is when you decide that you're going to you know you have your own facility and you're gonna take as long as it needs to get right it can also turn into a huge time suck and also if they feel like they have unlimited time that also can be you know there's a negative side to that too
2: yeah true but the way i I, I work things usually is uh like I'll say if I work on a specific projects and uh, I'll, I'll think about uh Enough, like, like uh, the, the amount of time it's gonna take, and I look at my schedule, see the amount of time that I have available for that particular project, and what I'll do is I'll, 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 block, like, say, if I'm doing a a record from A to Z, I'll block that month and a half, and that's the only thing I'm gonna be doing for for that time frame, but then also the band is aware that that's the whole, that's the only time I have for them because. Uh, after that, either I'm gonna get on a tour or or I'm gonna have something else booked. So I'm I'm trying to make it sure that they understand that we have to fit it within a certain time frame. But at the same time, I leave myself enough room to to make mistakes or to take days off or to like uh, making it right. You know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it just sounds like balance and choosing your battles is
2: exactly and not not pick. Too much work because that's another mistake I seen people do is I've and, done and, it. I, and I was I was guilty of it myself is just you just go day in day out and doing doing sessions like and you just overbook yourself because you want the work and you want to make the money and it's totally understandable while while you can because I I tend to notice like. For me, it's always the same thing. Like, as I get one big thing going, and then there's like ten other things at the 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 same time that everybody wants the same time frame, and you're like ah, and you you just choose your battles and uh, and and try to make the best of it. Like, uh, but but I think that your work's gonna suffer if you don't plan things right and you take too much on your shoulders.
1: I totally totally agree. So you know, pick the right ones. Make them as good as they possibly can be, rather than do everything not as well,
2: exactly, exactly. totally agree with that.
1: It's hard, though, I think, especially for people who are first starting to make a living at this, you know, in the you know, when they first start experiencing some success and they go from they go from not having that many bookings to a lot of bookings. Um, they were just used to not having anything so immediately their first reaction is say yes to everything possible
2: yeah because you, you think that it's gonna stop or you're afraid that it's gonna stop and you just want to keep every like a book everything you can now and just do it but uh, if, if you do quality work and you take your time like people are not gonna stop calling you it's just you just keep working you know it becomes a it becomes a job and a normal routine and uh, i think the quality of your work is must be the like the number one priority on your list uh, not not how, how much work you're you're getting you know
1: yeah actually the way to get people to stop calling and coming back is by you know by taking on too much and pissing people off
2: yeah exactly
1: so you actually by doing by taking on too much work you actually are a lot more likely to make your fears come true, I think.
2: And also the other thing, like like you mentioned age earlier, I'm also in my 40s, so for me it's easier to make these decisions where (laughs) I don't have the energy I used to have when I was 20 to, to, to take on many, many, many projects. So now I try to make sure I'm... I have the energy and, and focus to do the things I need to do and do it right, you know, but I think it comes also with maturity of, of, of being, having doing it a long time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't, uh, and I don't want to, but there was a time period where, you know, 36 hours, 40 hours would do it if I needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be fine. Uh, fuck that now. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not going to happen. Um, but I'm, and I'm okay with that too. I don't miss it at all. Um, I actually wonder if, if that was a good thing. Cause I know that, I know a lot of people who, you know, in their earlier years would do crazy hours and then they stop because they don't want to die or something, you know, (laughs) or lose their (laughs) minds. But, um... You know, I am so much more productive now, um, because there, it feels to me like there's a certain point where you can keep going, but your brain is just not going to be as in it, and why not just rest?
2: Yeah, exactly. I think uh, it's it's incredible what an eight-hour sleep can do for you. <laughs> just go sleep and come back refreshed on the next day, and you, it's, it's like you see the your vision of things is so much different when you're you're resting.
1: Yeah, and also well, you know when you start to get tired, you, you start. You can take three hours to do something that when you're well rested, you could do in ten minutes, literally.
2: Uh, so, yeah, that too for sure.
1: So, well, anyways, man, I think this is a good place to stop it, and so I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's great to finally get to speak to you, and just thanks for being here.
2: Uh, thank you so much for for having me. This was really fun. I enjoyed it.
1: My pleasure. This episode of the Unstoppable
0: Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Golden Age Premier. High quality, vintage style products at an affordable price point. To find out more, go to goldenagepremier.com. This episode is also brought to you by Fuse Audio Labs. Uncompromising emulations of classic and rare studio processors in revolutionary plug-in form. For more info, go to fuseaudiolabs.de to ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact. Visit urm.academy slash podcast and subscribe today.